From DLA Piper, this is the Beyond the Curve podcast. In this episode, DLA Piper's Victoria Lee, co-chair of the firm's global technology sector, talks with Andy Serwin, U.S. and global co-chair of the data protection, privacy, and security practice, about the implications of SHREMS 2 and other recent data privacy legislation on technology companies. Welcome, Andy. Thanks for joining us today. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Pretty good. Before we get started, like myself, you're a dog owner. And I just want to remind you, you know, we're recording live here. So I know I sent my dog away to doggy daycare today. Where are yours? Well, one is home barking downstairs, but thankfully not audibly. And one is at daycare since one of them has not been behaving well at home. You don't have to guess which one that was. Yeah, I don't think I need to guess. Well, welcome. And thanks for taking time out of your busy day to join us here. Let's start off by talking about SHREMS 2. About a month ago, the SHREMS 2 decision came down and invalidated a privacy shield, and you were one of the expert witnesses in that case. So I'm assuming you know it very well, maybe far too well, but if you had to explain the background of the case to someone who knows nothing about privacy and why it matters, what would you say? Pretend you're explaining it to one of the dogs. There you go. Perfect. So. Unlike, I'd say, a lot of other areas of commerce, the trade of information or the flow of information across borders hasn't been traditionally regulated maybe in the same way that other things have. And so what's happened over time is Europe has become particularly concerned about the level of surveillance in the United States. It's always been an issue and there's been concerns about the level of protection in the U.S. for data Post Edward Snowden's revelation, there was a high degree of concern in Europe about the level of surveillance in the U.S. There was a case more than a few years ago now that involved the invalidation of Safe Harbor, which was a treaty between the EU and the U.S. to do data transfer. There were other mechanisms available. One of them was standard contractual clauses, which are supplementary agreement that Europe had said would create adequacy for countries that didn't have adequate privacy laws. As a result of an advocate in Europe pushing issues related to Facebook, the Irish Data Protection Commissioner had to start trying to do an assessment of whether data transfer to the U.S., in particular related to Facebook, was legal or illegal. And she ended up filing a case in Irish High Court to test standard contractual clauses. And during the pendency of that case, Privacy Shield, which was a Safe Harbor 2.0 was signed and entered between the EU and the US and to help buttress data transfer. Long story, hopefully a little shorter. The case went up to the Court of Justice of the European Union. I testified in Irish High Court on US national security, really privacy and remedy issues. And ultimately, the court concluded that Privacy Shield was invalid. Standard contractual clauses may or may not be valid depending on the nature of the transfer and it really pushed the burden to companies to do a transfer-by-transfer assessment, if you will, whether the transaction or transfer in question is valid, with then putting the burden on the data protection authorities to figure out whether those decisions were right or wrong. So it's cast a lot of uncertainty around data transfer overall, certainly directly invalidated Privacy Shield, and does raise questions about SCCs and also the other mechanism binding corporate rules. Thanks, Andy. So there's a very long list of companies that were relying on privacy shields. So for those companies, 
Now what? Do they look at SEC's standard contractual clauses? Are they looking at something else? It seems like it's a never-ending stream of work for privacy lawyers these days. Yes, it is. So there's really two options left. One is binding corporate rules and one is standard contractual clauses. Some companies will try to use what's called derogation or consent, but the court seemed to indicate that was only available in probably limited circumstances. But that aside, binding corporate rules take years to really probably get them through approval process. So anyone using Privacy Shield is realistically probably having to switch over to standard contractual clauses pretty quickly. And as part of that, figuring out whether these transfers can be valid or how they can be valid, depending on the nature of the data and a variety of other factors. Andy, I've been practicing long enough where when I first graduated from law school, people didn't even talk about data privacy. So how did you get started in what is likely the hottest and fastest evolving area of the law right now? You've been practicing for a while too. Was data privacy where you first started? And take us through your career path. No, it wasn't. I started as a litigator and privacy really wasn't a thing at all. For me, what it really was looking at when we had the first wave of the internet, looking at it and really saying, at that point, the focus really was on a lot of the keyword and the IP issues. And it's not that those aren't still issues, but they were all people talked about really legally on the internet at that point. And so I looked at the data flow at that point and said, we're all talking about IP, but there's this whole other thing, which is we're creating this vast pool of data and it's really unregulated at this point, And no one's really figured out what those rules of the road are going to be. That seems like a pretty good area to go practice in. And so privacy used to really be kind of an adjunct to a sector approach. So you'd have financial services lawyers that did privacy related financial services. You had healthcare lawyers that would do privacy, obviously pre-HIPAA, but then after HIPAA as well related to healthcare. But you didn't really have dedicated privacy practitioners in the way we do now. And now we're getting to a place where I've been doing it long enough. I do both privacy and security, but there are certainly privacy and security professionals, some of whom are lawyers who really only do one of the two. So it's becoming much more stratified and segmented, if you will, in terms of who does what. But yeah, it was really the rise of the internet that drove this massive amount of data collection and not really having any great books on the topic at that point or having, frankly, a lot of people who just dedicated their practice to it. And speaking of books, Andy, don't you have some very large paperweight that you're the author of? (laughs) Unfortunately, it's a three-volume, 6,000-page treatise on privacy globally. And so my yearly chore is trying to keep that at least not completely out of date. I learned long ago, as soon as I send the manuscript into the publisher, it's out of date somehow. So you just have to try to keep it as current as you can, given how fast this area moves, and it certainly does. Right. So as you know, I practice in the area of IP transactions and technology transactions, and we always have thought about IP as being the crown jewels of a company. Now, I think that as companies are evolving into much more data-centric business models, there's lots of talk about data being the new oil. So companies looking to monetize that data. But in this 
what seems like a very complicated regulatory framework full of acronyms, GDPR, CCPA, GLB, FERPA, FICRA, HIPAA. I still sometimes forget whether HIPAA has one P or two A's, right? So what is a company supposed to do with this regulatory framework? And that's only in the U.S. We haven't even talked about the regulatory framework outside the U.S. So what's coming next and how do companies look at all of this and deal with it in a cost-effective way? Look, I think part of the challenge is you can't attack it from a sector or law-specific basis, I think, in terms of trying to comply with this law over here and that law over there. Frankly, I think it's in some ways broader because privacy focuses on exactly what you're talking about, which is how do companies regulate what they do with data they lawfully have about a person, whether it's an employee or a customer or something else. Data security is way broader in terms of the type of data it would protect. So it would sweep in IP assets, for example. And so some of the ugliest breaches I've done that you don't read about are ones where someone, a foreign nation state, perhaps comes in and steals very sensitive intellectual property. That's a data security breach. It's just not a breach we associate with personal information and giving notice. And we don't see the notices, so you don't hear about it. But that's the thing I'd say for companies, whether it's privacy, security, or both is Our practice isn't privacy per se, and it's not personal information per se, it's information. And data is part of that, but IP is part of that. And obviously I don't do IP work the way you do, but I'm brought in to protect it from a different way. I'm brought in to protect it from a third party stealing it unlawfully off of a server. And so that's where the companies that do this well look at it holistically as data and information inform the business and have value. And as a result, you have to protect it just like you wouldn't leave your cash reserve sitting in your main conference room at your company. You shouldn't be leaving your sensitive IP or other data sitting around the server and letting everyone have access to it. And I guess that would be true of a company, whether they're a big global 500 company or whether they are a startup, right? Some of the startups that we work with in the emerging growth space They're the ones that are innovating and developing very cutting edge technology. And my guess is that they should be very protective of data security around that IP, right? I wouldn't say always more of an issue, but I think it's probably more of an issue for startups and certainly sometimes more than they realize, which is if you're a huge company with a lot of assets and a lot of barriers to entry to your market, it's not that you want to lose your IP but there may be other barriers to people getting into your business line. If you're a startup and the only thing you have is your IP, you lose that and someone steals it and knocks it off, that's probably the end of your company. And so I think for startups, I've found working with a lot over the years, it's not to say that you can ignore privacy because you can't. A lot of companies, obviously, when they start up, they don't have the budgets to do full compliance the way larger companies do, and I get that. But there's a difference between regulatory action that you can deal with versus your entire company having no value because you didn't protect the IP that's the core of your business. And that's really a data security issue. And I think one thing, again, startups should really think through is it's not a regulatory requirement alone with data security. It's a, how do you protect your entire core business? So that's what I was going to ask, Andy, if a company had to choose between data security and data compliance, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is it too simplistic to say that data security might 
be in some cases or maybe in all cases the priority over data compliance? So it gets complicated. So I think it depends on the type of company. If you're a B2B company that isn't collecting a lot of personal information, you have data regarding your employees, perhaps, and you may not have that many employees. And what you've got is really sensitive IP. Yeah, data security is way more important. It's not that you can completely ignore privacy. I think where privacy becomes an interesting issue for startups that are B2C is if you're looking for an exit, and some of those exits are obviously going public, some of them are getting acquired. During the M&A process, obviously, one of the things that's done is people like me come in and review (laughs) privacy practices, privacy policies to see how data was collected. And it really comes down to what you're selling. When you're going through a liquidity event, if you're selling technology and you're selling IP that isn't personal information, data security is critical. Data security is also critical for consumer-facing companies. But if your entire business model is based on a bad privacy call and the data you think you own and can do X with, you really can't, that is a hugely limiting factor. So you get into what's the core value of the company. And if the core value is data or a platform with consumers on it and there's core issues there, it's a huge inhibitor of value. And conversely, if you're a high-tech company in the energy space and it turns out a foreign nation state has stolen your core IP and is knocking you off in a foreign country, that's a way bigger problem than if you have 30 employees that you didn't perhaps do data privacy as well as you could have. Right. And that brings me to my next question. You and I both are California-admitted lawyers and The state of California has been making waves in the privacy space, first with CCPA, now we have Prop 24. So what's happening on that front? And is California getting ahead of the other states, or is it just a matter of time before the other states follow suit? Yeah, and one thing I do think we should do is go get admitted in Georgia so we can have more waffle time. But (laughs) beyond that, I think... One of the things the book has really allowed me to do sort of watch the laws roll out across the country. And California was the first, I'll say, governmental entity to have a security breach law. They all started here and they kind of went through the states largely and then went global because Europe did not have that before us. And so California has always had probably more privacy law than many of the other states. Some states do are close, some have done it differently. But when you look at what California has done, it's done a lot of the more cutting edge stuff. And so what you see with California is for every security breach law example I can give you, there's probably at least eight or nine laws that California enacted that no one else has followed suit on. And so I do think CCPA is a game changer in terms of what the US has always had is either state-based or sectoral-based privacy laws at the federal level, this is really the first time you have a broad privacy law overall. And I think the other states are probably, if the federal government doesn't step in, and I think that's unlikely short term, the other states are going to follow suit. And look, as you know, when companies do compliance work, there's times where they will say, we're going to segment these legal requirements and only give these legal rights to the people that are entitled to them. And that's happening with CCPA, but overall it is driving changes in operations broader than just California because to operationalize a lot of these requirements, you're not going to segment your California customers and go, okay, we have two databases. That's just not how compliance is going to play out. So I think 
there is a reality that other states may follow, but given the importance of California in the nation's economy, a lot of companies are driving towards those standards directly or indirectly. So it sounds like it's just a matter of time before we have even more individual state laws to deal with. Is that right? I think so. The state data breach laws, it took, call it 15 years-ish to get all 50 states, maybe a little more. I think we will have a lot of states moving probably in the next couple of years on this. And then at some point, if you have five or six of the largest states, that's probably enough to just drive it across, whether all these states do it or not, just make the companies kind of hit that standard across the board, given the volume of people in those states. And then what about the talk about possibly having federal privacy legislation at some point? It may happen. I think the challenge of it is that the businesses that want that typically want it to preempt higher burdens of state law. I think the challenge is if you actually look at, despite all the talk, the privacy laws at the federal level, the vast majority of them aren't preemptive. Can't spam is an exception because California passed a pretty crazy email marketing law. And it was bad enough that the Fed stepped in and passed CAN-SPAM and preempted some of the hardest parts of CAN-SPAM. But beyond that, there's other examples. But by and large, like HIPAA is not preemptive. So California does go beyond HIPAA and what it does with the CMIA, which is a state law on medical information. I know there's the view of DC at times, which is, oh, well, we'll come in and preempt. I think it's going to be hard to get a preemptive law through the federal level. And so what you may end up with is a federal law and then a series of state laws. Now, the federal law might help with Europe and data transfer, so it does have value. But if you're looking at it from the business side of this, I'm not sure that it will preempt and take away the challenges we have in doing compliance with some of the picky little state requirements that we currently have. Got it. Hey, thanks, Andy, for joining us today. I know you're really, really busy and appreciate you taking time out of your day and also taking time away from the dogs. So I know that they're probably anxious to get your attention and get a couple of pets in there from you. So thanks again. And thank you. Thank you for listening to DLA Piper's Beyond the Curve podcast. This podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship between the firm and listener. All information, content, and materials discussed are for general informational purposes only. No listener should act or refrain from acting with respect to any particular legal matter on the basis of this information without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. 